Well, this morning, you have one slide. There it is. Teach us to pray. So hopefully when you leave here and you close your eyes, that's what you see. Teach us to pray. Because that's what the disciples asked of Jesus. Rob Kenny's YouTube channel, Dad, How Do I, went viral last year. Kenny released his first video shortly after the COVID pandemic was declared, and he wanted to provide practical advice on how do I fix the running toilet and show moral support by saying, I'm proud of you. And uh, by, but in time, uh, defined by isolation and loneliness, this message resonated with more than the 30 or 40 subscribers he thought he would get. And he now surpassed 3.4 million subscribers. Now, I looked at him up this morning. I looked him up, and he was, uh, oh, I don't remember things, like 5 million or, you know, give it, take half a million people are his subscribers now. And uh, over 15 million views, and I think it's far above 15 million views. And when Good Morning America, they referred to this 57-year-old as the, as the internet dad. And uh, followers flooded him with stories about their uh, parents' broken relationships and their traumatic experiences. Kenny said, it breaks my heart. So many people need my channel. The seeds of this video were planted in Kenny's tumultuous childhood. When his parents divorced, his dad gained custody of them. His mom was legally declared unfit to parent as she turned to alcohol. And soon after, Kenny's dad met another woman. And on the weekends, he would stock up the kids with groceries and then he would take off. After a year of this, he gathered the kids together to deliver a, the devastating message, I'm done parenting. Kenny, who was 14 at the time, he moved in with his 23-year-old newlywed uh, brother, into a 280-square-foot trailer. So you can imagine a 23-year-old brother with a 14-year-old brother living in a 280-square-foot trailer. You know, this teenage, his teenage experience was full of anger, sorrow, and confusion, and he vowed, vowed never to cause this much pain on his own children. And the pledge broadened when he realized that he wasn't the only kid that didn't have a dad. And so he doubled down and he decided to also be a help to anyone who was missing a father figure. And once Kenny reached his early 50s, feeling like he had accomplished his goal by raising two healthy kids, he thought that he had plenty more life to live and so he zeroed in on the second part of his vow and that was to help others. His daughter said, I genuinely think that he was put on this earth to be a dad. Last Father's Day, his followers mailed him scores of cards, and most of them, or many of them, were handmade cards. You know, the fact that the strangers are celebrating him at all reflects a man who found a, a time to share his story and a world that was desperate to hear it. Our Heavenly Father, he promises that he will never leave us nor forsake us. What a great promise that is for all of us as his children. You know, one of the obvious ways that we know that God speaks to us is through the scriptures. He speaks to us in our hearts. He speaks to us in our spirits. And anytime he speaks to us in our hearts or our spirits, this is our plumb line. If it doesn't line up with what God is saying in his word, then we have to stop and question what we're hearing. You know, scripture says that wisdom is found in the multitude of counselors. When you're here, you know, I encourage you to listen to what God is saying to you in your spirit. 
because he speaks all the time. And when he's speaking to you, you know, it's very good, if you're not sure, to go to mature believers and throw them by them and talk to them about it. You know, it just is a healthy thing for us to do. And I want to encourage you to listen to what the Spirit's saying. But he speaks to us very clearly as well through the Scriptures. And, uh, you know, the Scriptures, they hold many great promises for all of us. And for example, he says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Everyone who asks receives. Those who seek find. To those who knock, the door will be opened. You know, some believe that God created mankind and then he just stepped back, just letting everything play out, and he's no longer involved with mankind. You know, he just sort of pops in every once in a while, makes a little adjustment, and then he's gone. But I beg to differ because my experiences have been very different than that in my life. God has made it very clear to me that he uh, wants to be very involved in every part of my life and that he's my father. He's made it clear he's my father and that he loves me and he wants to talk with me and he wants to walk with me and he wants to guide my every step because he knows our future and he has a plan for each one of us here this morning. And he's not left us to our own demise, just to stumble our way through life, taking everything that comes along. You know, his scriptures, they say, they instruct us. It says that a wise man seeks, sees trouble and takes refuge. He guides us with his scriptures. He says that the word is a lamp unto our feet. He gave us this book to help us understand how to navigate this life and to navigate it well. And in the Bible, God warns us and he convicts us and he comforts us, and he blesses us. And God has given us his Holy Spirit to help us to understand all that he has given us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 says, What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but is the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. He has given us a life so wonderful that at the end, no matter what we've gone through, no matter how hard it has been at times, no matter how successful or unsuccessful we think we might have been in life, we should all be able to come to the end of our life with this overwhelming passion. God, you have been so good to me. As we get to know him and as we walk in his grace and his mercy and his compassion, we won't help but be able to say, God, you have been so good to me. I know that the Lord should, you know, to know the Lord should fill us with awesome awe and wonder. But in order for us to move out in all of this and all that God has for us in his scriptures, we need to learn how to pray. And this brings us to the text that we're going to read through this morning. And it's chapter 11. You might as well grab a Bible in front of you if you want to follow along in the text because it's not going to be up there. It's Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. And it says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples to pray. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Verse 5, then Jesus said to them, suppose 
you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and you say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer them. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much bread as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers in your... If your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You know, as I'm praying about this message, I'm thinking, okay, Lord, I see what, you know, I'm drawn to this. I'm going to be preaching on this one day. And then I says, what are we saying in this message? You know, and the two verses that, that just I locked in on were verse 9 and 10. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find and knock and the door will be open for everyone who asks receives. That kind of caught my attention. The one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks, the door will be open. I'm reading a book for a course I'm doing right now and it's written by Richard Foster and he says, in part of his book in there, he says, yet sometimes God does seem to be hidden from us. We do everything we know. We pray, we serve, we worship and nothing, nothing. It feels as if we're beating on heaven's door with bruised knuckles in the dark. You know, if, if you walked with the Lord for any time at all, a couple of days it would probably take, You've experienced this, where you're knocking on heaven's door and you're saying, okay, Lord. It's amazing, though, how he answers to a new believer, how he really does answer some of the prayers. It's, you know, just to whet your appetite and make you realize, hey, man, God is really real. But we've all had this experience. And so, you know, one thing that I want to challenge us is we have to be able to ask the questions, okay, what is it that Jesus is talking about here? If if we're reading something that doesn't seem to line up with what we're experiencing in life, we need to stop and say, okay, what's this saying? For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door is open or will be opened. You know, and to really get to know the Father, to really understand, you know, and grow in our knowledge of him, we have to ask the questions. The disciples, they're seeing Jesus praying and uh, made them want to imitate him. The disciples knew that John's disciples were taught by John how to pray and they were wanting Jesus to teach them how to pray. They saw that Jesus' actions, they saw that Jesus' actions each day, they came out of his prayer life with God and they desired to have the same dedicated prayer life. And it said that James, the brother of Jesus, after the resurrection, that Jesus, that James spent so much time on his knees that he had knees as hard as camel's knees. The devoted prayer life uh, is a learned discipline. It's not something that we just seem to be natural at. I think we're natural at having a conversation with the Lord, a little, you know, here and there as we go through our days, which is great, and we need to do that. 
But when it comes to it, you know, teach us to pray, to really communicate with the Father, to, to listen, to hear, and to be able to respond to what the Father's saying, it, it's a learned thing. You know, this book that Richard Foster's written, it's, uh, I'm doing a course, it's called Prayer Paths to God, and the book's title is Prayer, and the subtitle of the book is Finding the Heart's True Home. And uh, in the index, it's a great book, and it would be good for us all to read, because it talks about 21 different uh, types of prayer, like healing prayer, meditative prayer, contemplative prayer, intercessory prayer, authoritative prayer, and on and on it goes. There's 21 different types of prayer that would be really great for us to grow in our understanding, okay, what, what's the difference? You know, and if we're going to learn to pray, Foster says, we have to be willing to change. We have nothing in and of ourselves that we can bring to the Lord that makes us worthy to come into his presence. You know, we're not doing him a favor when we come to pray. It's because of the obedience that Jesus learned, you know, through suffering. Jesus learned at, Cal- that, at Calvary that we can enter into the presence of God. You know, so what is prayer? Prayer is simply coming to God into his presence with an awareness that he's present, that he's there. We come before him, we st- stop and we quiet ourselves and we recognize the privilege of being where we're at when we're in the presence of the Father. If, you are, you know, if you're aware that you can come into his presence, it's something that you can be so thankful for because not everybody's aware of that. You know, Jesus says, but the gateway to life is narrow and the road is difficult and the only a few ever find it. You know, I think that the, only, the reason that only a few people find the gateway to life, he says, is narrow and the road is difficult. And I think as we get into this difficult part, we sort of shrink back and we say, I don't want to do this because this is too hard. But we need to get over that as believers, as God's people, because it's the narrow way to the belief, for the believer to life, the way of life. Jesus, they asked Jesus, teach us to pray. And Jesus' response was simply, when you pray, say. And then he goes down what we call the Lord's Prayer, but it's really the disciples' prayer. It's the disciples that are to be praying this. And he says, when you, when you pray, say, Father. And I want to stop right there and talk about Father, because the very first word in the prayer being Father, it's so special um, because a Father represents the image of security, of safety, of protection, of stableness, steadiness in life. And I remember, you know, as a child, having a bad dream. I just remember one in particular for some strange reason, but I remember having a bad dream and going into my parents' room and thinking, you know, scared to wake my dad up, but tapping him on the shoulder and saying, Dad, I had a bad dream, and then him reaching over and picking me up and tucking me in between them and then just snuggling up to me. And I felt like, you know, all my fears went away. There was no safer place to be than in the arms of my dad. I felt like nothing could harm me there. It's an, it was an amazing feeling, you know, when, when Jesus te- teaches his disciples to pray, you know, they're to acknowledge who it is that they're praying to, to the Father. And this is interesting here because uh, Jesus is encouraging his disciples to call the creator, to cre- call God Father. And this was not normal because the majority of Jewish people wouldn't say the name God and they wouldn't 
write it out because they didn't want to defile. They were afraid to defile the name God. Exodus 20, verse 7, it says, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. (coughs) Do not swear falsely by my name or so profane the name of your God. You know, Jesus, he's making a pretty big change in the minds of these people here at this time when he's saying, when you pray, say, Father. You know, God is our heavenly Father, and he's the perfect Father. And we must understand that God, our Father, is not like us. We must have this reverent respect for who he is because he's holy. He, you know, he, he's our heavenly father is holy. He's not like us and we can't approach him or, you know, like we're pretty flippant sometimes about it and it's great because he calls us friend, but he's holy. And we need to develop that reverent respect for who he is as we come into his presence and we quiet ourselves and we say, father, you know, and be there. It's amazing what God does in those situations. So I need to, you know, Asked the question, what image comes to your mind when you utter or you hear the word father? Because for some, the word father does not evoke a good image. You know, because our imperfect pasts, too many of us, you know, we don't have, like I have fond memories of my dad. You know, he was a great dad. But too many people don't have those fond memories. And rightfully so. How could you have fond memories if you have been, had a hard time in your childhood with your dad? And I'm not disqualifying that. I'm not belittling that in any way whatsoever. I want to encourage us all. I saw a program when it talked about our memories. And it talked about how that we cannot rely completely on our memories. That our memories deceive us some. And uh, a couple of examples I have of that. My son, he... He moved to Vancouver, and uh, I would go out there quite frequently because I missed my grandkids. <laughs> and I would go out there, <coughs> and I took my young grandson, Evandon, with me, and we went to, because I was raised in Vancouver, raised in Port Coquitlam, so I, we drove out to Port Coquitlam, and I parked the car in front of the house that I was raised in. And I went to school, I had to walk about two or three blocks up the road, and uh, So we parked the car and we started to walk and then we just walked off onto a street where I wanted to go and just see what the neighborhood looked like because there was a friend's house there that I went to a lot of days. And as I walked up that street and I looked, I couldn't remember which house it was. In my mind, I see it as plain as day, but I get up there and I look and like there's lots of trees have grown and stuff like that, but the houses are all still the same, but I couldn't remember which, I couldn't pick it out. Even though in my mind I could see what it should look like and it didn't look like that. We went from there, we went over to the school that I went to grade six and seven in. And as we went to the school, um, we walked around and as we walked in the front door, you know, it was different than I remember. It was, you know, similar. The structure on the outside looked just like it did when I went there. Going inside, it, it just looked different. You know, things were in a different place and, and not just because of renovations, it just, because everything was the same but different. And it showed me, wow, you know, like this, I don't remember this quite like it is. And, uh, and I went to the office and I said, do you have records of any of the teachers over here? Because there's one teacher there that really made an impact on my life in the grade six. 
they had no records of any of the teachers that were ever taught at the school anywhere close to this, because this was 50 years before this, we were there. And so I felt like my life, my past, was sort of being erased in my mind because it's not like what I pictured it to be. And, you know, we have to really, uh, I think, hear that because I think that our pasts can really affect today. It can really affect tomorrow. You know, just one more example. Karen and her sister, they grew up in the same home. They are a year apart in age, and they grew up in the same house together with good parents, and they remember life being quite different. They talk about the same story, and Karen sees it one way, and her sister sees it another way, and it's like she, Karen laughs, and she says, it's like we never even grew up in the same house. Mm-hmm. But it's just, you know, two totally different personalities seeing life differently. They're probably both a little bit skewed in how they really, how things happened. And I think that we need to hear that and say, okay, Lord, help me to to deal with these things. Maybe they have hurt me if my father in my past. You know, so saying all of this, the question, what's the image that comes to our mind when when we hear the word father? And how much of that image is affected by the experiences that we've had with our earthly father? Because it does make a big impact in what we expect. Something that is really sad is that depending on this relationship that we've had with our earthly father, you know, it affects the image that we have of our heavenly father. And if our earthly fathers had, were continually coming down on us, if they were telling us we were no good, if they tell us we'd never amount to anything, uh, my youngest son had a teacher say something like that to him, and I tell you, it was all I could do to stay on this side of the table. And I, the principal was in the room there, and he asked the guy to leave because he could see I was just about to go over, over that desk. Because, you know, you say that to a kid, they never forget it. That sticks. And what a thing to say. But some parents have said that. Some parents had pounded that into their kids' minds, and that affects us. And, you know, it's, it's sad because that's the image and what we expect when we look to the Heavenly Father. We don't want to look to Him because, you know, like when I first became a Christian, my dad was the disciplinarian in our house. It was like, you're going to get it when your dad gets home, and then you're just sweating and you're depressed and you're hiding and you know because you think wow you know just fear and then so when I become a Christian that's you know really what I expected from the father it was like I would I would you know stumble in some way or another and I'm at the prayer chair that I had in the house and I'd be praying and I'd be confessing and then I'd be just sitting there and then you know as I would feel from God is love and I think that's not right Lord just hit me or something because that would be easier you know, but it was his love that has changed me over the years. You know, he never, ever, I've never sensed him pointing his finger at me like, shame on you, you loser. <laughs> You'll never amount to anything. <laughs> He's always had his arms open and just loving to me. And that's changed my life. It's made me, it's broken me and made me want to change because of how he is with me. So we tend to expect what we've experienced from our heavenly father. And that's tough. But you know, we have to recognize that that is not the true image of who God is. In our earthly fathers, they've hurt us in some way. It can end up being a type of a curse in our lives, a feeling or an emotion that we can't seem to shake. And God wants to set us free from that curse. You know, this morning he wants to set us free from that because our heavenly father is not like our earthly fathers. There's nothing on this earth that we can compare to what the Father in heaven is like. Because God is not like us, we can't even imagine what he's like. 
you know, apart from being born again, or apart from being born of the Spirit, then we start to understand. Because when we first come to know the Lord, coming to the throne of grace and our experience of forgiveness right there, it's like, wow. You know, like, what's just happened? All of a sudden, you have a clear conscience. And you just sort of, you're, it's just in awe and wonder. You know, anyone who belongs to Christ, it says in uh, um, 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. And praise God for that, because when I became a Christian, I become a new person. The old life is gone, and new life has begun. The enemy would like to tell you different, but the old life is gone, and the new life has begun. And our Father in heaven, he uh, sent Jesus to give us abundant life. He he didn't, (coughs) he did a, we did a short-term mission trip to Fort Chippewan and uh, a number of years ago, probably, I don't know, 10 years ago or more. And uh, there's a government MP from Ottawa there who was raised in Fort Chippewan. And he tells me, we were having dinner together at the end of the week. And he tells me, he says, Mark, tell me, he says, do you, do you think these people need to be Christianized? And I said to him, because they were dealing with the residential school at the time. Uh, The building was no longer there, but that's what they were dealing with, that and self-governance. And he says, tell me, do you think these people need to be Christianized? And I told him, I says, I don't know about Christianized. I says, but unless these people come to realize that the great spirit that they all talk about is Jesus Christ, not a lot is gonna change in their lives. And he says, oh, we tried that, as he pointed over to the, the... over to the school. And I says, no, I said, what went on here was not Jesus. I said, Jesus didn't come to tear families apart and to uh, harm kids and harm people. I said, Jesus come to give life and to give life more abundantly. And uh, this is why we need to come to Jesus and be born again, to be born of the spirit to allow him to bring healing into our lives, setting us free from the bondages that the enemy would try and does try so hard to keep us under. You know, I have come over the years so many times to the altar for deliverance, for healing. The better that I've gotten to know Jesus, you know, as I've been getting to know him better and better, over the years he has set me free here and there and here and there as I've been walking with him. And uh, I want to encourage you that, you know, as the Lord works in your life, you know, everything, generally we can have a big moment. But as we walk through life, we never arrive. The destiny is the journey. And as we're on this journey, God is going to set us free again and again and again on different things in our lives as the Holy Spirit shows them to us. God wants us all to know He is not like our earthly father. And I believe that there are more good fathers on this planet than there are bad fathers on this planet. Praise God for that. You know, God is a good father. He's a loving father. He's a perfect father. And his arms are always wide open. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the altar is always open that we come and we deal with our stuff and we can stand up with our head held high, justified, just as if I'd never sinned. How glorious is that? How can the enemy beat that? He can't beat that. It's when we don't go to the altar and we stay in our seat and we're living under the condemnation of the enemy. The enemy is winning. 
But if you're free in Jesus and you just surrender your life to him and say, Lord, when you've stumbled, repent, but get up. Because the difference between the righteous and the unrighteous is that the righteous keep getting up. Our heavenly father, he's gentle and he's humble at heart. And there's a story of the prodigal son that most of us would know about where the father stood out longing to see his son. His son had taken his inheritance and he'd run off to squander it, just living the riotous life, fulfilling the desires of his flesh in every which way. And one day his father saw his son from afar off and he ran out to meet him and he hugged him and he kissed him and he celebrated that he had come home. You know, the father never condemned his son. He never scolded him and he never beat him, you know, for all the foolishness that he did but rather the perfect father. He put this scripture in this text, in the scripture to show us what he's like. He embraced his son and he wept with joy, with a thankful heart that he came home. And this is what our heavenly father's like. God doesn't just talk about love and he doesn't just give all kinds of scripture and love. First John 4, 8 says he is love. That's amazing. He is love. And if you've been estranged from your heavenly father today, that is the day when you can make that right. And you have no excuse not to. And if you struggle with that and you don't feel that you can, we're gonna just go to the Lord here in prayer in a minute. And if, uh, you know, this, my door is always open to anybody that would like to come in, you know, and talk about anything like this. But... If you have been estranged from your heavenly father, today is the day that you can come home. It is so important that we understand who it is that we're coming to before we will ever really be able to get to know what's in store for us to receive. He, and we need to have a clear picture in our minds that the father is the perfect father and that his plans for us are good and that he cares about us and he wants us to be whole. And following Matthew's rendition of this Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer here, Matthew says at the end of that prayer, that same prayer, he says, for if you forgive other people when they have sinned against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When I see, uh, what I see in the scriptures, you know, of the unforgiveness in our lives towards others, when we're operating in that realm, the biggest, it's, it's the biggest reason that the enemy has uh, for oppressing God's people. That's, we're allowing the enemy to hold us down. We're allowing the enemy to oppress us. And uh, it's where a lot of our prayers are unanswered because of the unforgiveness in our heart. We need to, that's one of the biggest things in scripture. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. And, you know, so once this kind of stuff is dealt with in your life, look out. Talk about freedom. There's a freedom that if you've never experienced it, it's gonna be like being born again, again. It's gonna be a freedom that is just the most incredible thing. You know, there was, um, was a young lady that I I'd talked to in my office and she come in and she was just there struggling in their marriage and she was just bound up and as I talked to her and I just let her talk and asked her just a few questions that come out that, that her mom, one thing that seemed to have put an oppressive spirit on her was that her mom 
would have her sit down and would make the kids watch horror movies with her. And, uh, and then uh, she had an experience with her brother who had done something to her that she just couldn't get past. And so it come down to these two things. And so she wanted, I had it, got her to the place where she recognized she had to forgive them and had to just let that go and leave it with the Lord. And so she was there and I said, okay, let's pray. And, as, and I said, let's just close our eyes and let's pray. And then I, I just said, Jesus. And she said, I can't do that, I can't do that. And I said, what? She says, when I close my eyes and she says, you know, she says, I, when I think of Jesus, she says, I see this clown with fangs. And she says, I haven't been able to close my eyes and pray to Jesus for a long time. And I said, okay. And then I just took authority over the powers of darkness in her life and I just commanded them to leave. And, uh, and she uh, has repented for, uh, had her repent with her for uh, holding this against her parents, her mom and her brother. She repented of that and she committed her life to the Lord and she just broke down, just bawled. And she left there a completely different person than she come in. And that wasn't just a one-time thing. She was a different person. You know, her husband comes to me and walked up the aisle. He grabs my hand as I'm walking by him. And he, this is like six months later, he says, thank you, Mark, for praying with my wife. He says, our marriage has never been so good. You know, the enemy is such a liar. And he wants to... He wants to keep us bound up, but the altar is where we need to continually come. Like Jesus says, you know, I have a stamp. Come to the throne of grace with confidence in your time of need that you might find mercy. Praise God for that. Because if I didn't have that altar to come to, I don't know where I would be. He wants us to be free. He's calling all of us to come just as we are. And when we do, You know, we're going to find rest. We're going to find God is compassionate. He's gracious and his arms are wide open and he's loving. And I want us to pray right now. I want us to bow our heads and uh, just go to the throne room of grace. Father, we come into your presence and we just surrender right now, Lord God, everything about our lives, all the feelings and the emotions and the stresses that we have outside of these doors, Lord, we just surrender them to you out there. Right now, Lord, just just come into our presence, Father, and show us who you are. I know he's touching hearts here this morning. In the first service, he moved on a particular family and uh, who had an offense 15 years ago and they were here and they were listening and the Holy Spirit just moved and they repented, they forgive, they uh, ask for forgiveness and man, there light bulbs walking out of here compared to how they felt coming in. I know that the spirit is moving in this congregation, touching hearts. Ask, everyone who asks, receives. Heavenly Father, there's so much pain in our world. (coughs) So many broken hearts. Touch the hearts of your people in here right now, I pray in Jesus' name. Walk through this congregation, Jesus, and touch the hearts of your people. 
like you only you can. Just ask him. Everyone who asks receives. He wants us to be whole. Father, those that have been away from you, have been strayed, have done their, gone apart and done their own thing, Father, give them the courage to come back right now. Dare to ask him to touch you where you're at, exactly like you are. Father, we thank you that your arms are always wide open to us, that you are the perfect father, that you have good in mind for us, Lord God, that your plans for us are good. I just pray, Lord, that you would just seal up this work that you've done here this morning. Help us to continue to walk in your spirit, setting these things on the altar as we grow closer to you. In Jesus' name, Father God. Amen. Teach us to pray. It's a learned experience. Our hands need to be in the hands of the Lord all the time. We need to have our hands in his. There is no condemnation. The enemy is an accuser of the brethren. He's speaking his native tongue when he's lying. But Jesus has come to give us life and to give it to us abundantly. I like what Luke says, because Luke wrote the book of Acts as well. And he says in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be witnesses to me, witness my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people everywhere about me. You know, as a leadership here at the church, God seems to be really challenging us to be focusing our messages on go and make disciples because Jesus, he ascended. And before he ascended, the last thing he said to his disciples, go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And so that is the call of our church. That's the way we as a leadership feel that God is taking us as a church. And, um, you know, it seems obvious to me that God, you know, it seemed obvious to me before that God was calling his church out. But it seems more obvious since COVID. When you see what's going on in our world and all the crazy stuff that's coming our way. You know, that... I believe that we need to separate ourselves, like it says, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And we need to separate ourselves from the systems of this world that control our lives. They control us on how much we can follow the Lord or how committed we can be. He's calling us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and let him be our provider. That takes faith. That's a scary thing to me. I know it is to you too. You know, seek first his kingdom and let him be our provider. We Christians have to begin, and I'm speaking of myself here as well. I feel I've got somewhat of a handle on this, and, uh, but it's not a perfect handle. 
We have to begin to live within our means and not let the lust for things and luxuries and debt that's associated with those things dictate how much we're able to give to the kingdom of God. I'm not talking money, I'm talking of ourselves. This prayer says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth in my life as in heaven. God expects commitment from his people. The only way that this is possible is if we learn to pray. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And God just wants our presence. You know, he doesn't want, he doesn't, we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be flamboyant in our words. If we come into his presence and ain't nothing, he'll do lots of talking. So I want to end this morning leaving here from his presence. So if we would stand and just end this service in prayer, coming into the presence of God, I know we're there. I know he's here. I know he's been ministering to us and just being aware of that. Father, Lord, thank you that we can come into your presence. Jesus, you learned obedience through what you suffered. Help us to be willing to walk that narrow road which is difficult than the road to life. Give us wisdom. We need your wisdom, Lord God. Teach us to pray. Teach us, Lord God, what that means. Coming into your presence and communing and fellowshipping and hearing and learning from you. We commit ourselves to you and we pray your will be done in our lives. Your kingdom come, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you go.